Michael Vonnen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video I want to do a character study on Eowyn. And I find Eowyn's character interesting for several reasons, one of them being she's one of the few characters that we get fairly little time with in the novel, but yet we also know quite a bit about her through what little we do know. Also the fact that she's one of the few female characters that has an active role in the story. And there's also a lot of interplay between Eowyn and Aragorn and, and some other things that just make her character really interesting as a, not a side story per se, but as a minor character as compared with the Fellowship and some of the other major characters in the story. And I'm going to go about this one a little bit differently because I'm going to basically view it through the lens of her combat with the Witch King because I think looking at it through that lens actually provides a good deal of insight into a lot of different aspects of what makes Eowyn tick. So let's get started. So first, let's set up the scene. Of course, in The Return of the King, Eowyn, and this is kind of a, I'm going to go by the book here, so if, if some of this doesn't sound quite familiar and you've only seen the movies, that's why. But she starts off, uh, she is, of course, the niece of King Theoden, Whenever Theoden and the Riders of Rohan uh, finally take their ride to the aid of Gondor, she is supposed to be left in charge of the rest of the people of Rohan. And in the book, that is not even Theoden's idea. That's actually the idea of one of the other riders who basically steps forward and says, we want somebody from you know, the house of Aeoral to <laughs> lead us while you're gone. And his meaning is Eowyn. They all want Eowyn to be there. However, she ends up sneaking uh, in with the Riders of Rohan, disguised as a, just another rider, calling herself Durnhelm. That part doesn't show up in the movie. And through that, ends up coming to the Pelennor fields with the rest of the Rohirrim. And in the course of the battle, of course, we know that Theoden ends up being thrown from his horse and nearly killed, but he's not quite dead yet, by the Witch King and his fell beast. At that point, Eowyn, who prior to that in the battle was kind of a non-entity, we don't really know what happened to her, at that point she ends up stepping forward and basically challenging the Witch King, saying, don't touch him. The Witch King basically replies and says, what are you going to do about it? And the interesting thing about this is some of the dialogue that goes back between the two of them Eowyn basically, well, actually the Witch King kind of gets the first lick in. He basically says, don't come between the Nazgul and his prey, or I won't slay you. I will take you somewhere and basically make your life miserable until you really just can't stand it anymore. I'm not even going to describe what he describes because it's kind of creepy. Eowyn basically says, do what you will, but I will hinder it if I may. And the Witch King says, no living man may hinder me. And at that point, Eowyn gives what in the movie comes a little later, she pulls off her helmet and basically says, no living man am I, you look upon Eowyn. And another interesting point too, and I can't remember exactly at what point in the dialogue this happens, but she she tells the Nazgul, you stand between me and my lord and kin. This is before she takes off her helmet, or it may be a little bit after. I Like I said, I can't remember exactly the order, but that part where she says you stand between me and my lord and kin is important, I think. So I don't want to leave that out. So anyway, at that point, the Witch King 
you know, basically tries to kill Eowyn. Eowyn fights back, kills the fell beast. Witch King falls off the fell beast. Mary, this whole time, is basically in the background, terrified, trying to muster up the courage to come to Eowyn's aid. The Witch King gets off the fell beast after it crumples to the ground. And in the movie, there's kind of a little bit of a fight scene here, but in the novel, it's really pretty quick. He basically lifts his mace one time, swings it, breaks her shield and her arm. She falls to the ground. He's about to make his second swing to kill her. Mary stabs him in the back of the knee, and then he falls forward to his knees. Eowyn then stands up and then pushes her sword into his face, and he's dead. I mean, it's really that fast. There's a swing... An almost second swing, Mary stabs him, he falls, Eowyn stabs him in the face. It's pretty short and quick. So, and that also I think is important because it, it speaks to the Nazguls and the Witch King in particular, sheer power and everything. The other, other, the other really important part of this is of course that the Nazgul in general and the Witch King in particular as well have basically... They, they're just walking fear. They're, they inspire terror wherever they go any time they get near anybody. And you see this earlier in the battle against in, with Minas Tirith because anytime the Nazgul would fly over a section of the wall, the men would just start cowering in fear unless Gandalf was there to kind of counteract that and rally their courage. So that's also another thing to keep in mind. Eowyn here is standing up to literally probably the most fearsome war warrior in all of Middle-earth, and that becomes important. So now that we've got the scene set up, let's explore what really happened in it by checking out what else we know about Eowyn and her character. The first thing I'd like to point out is that Eowyn, while probably braver than the average person in Middle-earth, because most of the main characters in the story are, is probably not so brave that she ends up being capable of just standing up to an Osgul just because. I, I really don't think that's the case. And just to make the point, we only really know of about three people who haven't completely lost their minds. Uh, well, I take that back, four. Four people who haven't completely lost their minds in the presence of the Nazgul. We have Merry, who barely manages to drag himself behind the Witch King to stab him in the back, back of the knee, but still. Uh, you have Gandalf, who is a Maiar and quite powerful in his own right. You have Aragorn, who stands up to the Nazgul to some extent on Weathertop. But even Aragorn, if you read the novel, when he tells the hobbits in Bree about the Nazgul, it describes his own reaction to his memory of that, and it basically you get the idea that he doesn't really like being around them, even though he can stand up to them if he needs to. And the only other person that I can think of is Faramir. And the only instance we have of Faramir doing that is when he is leading the retreat from Mosgiliath back to Minas Tirith. So he's not exactly facing them head on. He is actually just keeping his men kind of together as they're retreating from the armies of Mordor and the Nazgul were sweeping down on them from above. You could say Frodo and Sam kind of do the same thing, but Frodo and Sam never actually come face to face with any Nazgul except Frodo at the the Weathertop situation. And even then, his facing them at that point has more to do with just sheer rage than courage. And 
any other instance where he kind of encounters the Nazgul, they're always at a distance and they never know he's there directly. They may be able to sense the ring, but they can't, they never find him. So the idea that Frodo faces up to them, I don't think works. And there's really no other characters that do. So I think it's crucially important to realize that we don't have hardly, just virtually no examples at all of any characters in Lord of the Rings standing up to the Nazgul. And yet here Eowyn is doing that. Now, like I said, Eowyn probably is braver than the average person in the Lord of the Rings novel, but I don't think, I don't think she's as brave as Aragorn and Aragorn, even he's like, oh, these guys are creepy. So I don't think bravery alone is enough to explain Eowyn's standing up to the Witch King. What I do think is enough, and this is kind of the linchpin to the whole thing, is her love of her uncle. And again, this kind of goes back to that phrase, you stand between me and my lord and kin. That whole idea is, I'm stepping in here because of the person you're attacking. If it was anybody else, I don't think this battle would have happened. So the reason I think that's key is because we know enough about her history to know that a lot of her bravado, for lack of a better term, is not really just courage. There's a lot of points in the story where she does say that she wants to have glory in battle and all this other sort of thing, but it's always about the glory, or it's always about something other than just doing the right thing. And from the perspective of Tolkien, courage is not just facing up to something that's fearsome. It's doing the right thing despite it being hard and, and something that you're afraid of. Eowyn's almost never doing the right thing except out of necessity. Eowyn's character is such that she's always complaining about having to do what she's told to do or what she ought to be doing. So she's she ought to be leading the rest of the people of Rohan while Theoden and Eomer are lead, leading the Rohirrim to Gondor, but she doesn't. And even when, you know, in the earlier stages, she's not exactly happy about leading the people at Dunharrow or you know, during the whole Helm's Deep situation, she's never really happy about having to do things. And the movie kind of got this right. It misses some of the details and changes it a bit. But the novel and the movie are basically on board with the same point in the sense that she's not really keen on doing what she's supposed to be doing. Why is that? There's a couple of different things that go into it. One of them is Grima Wormtongue actually kind of got into her head as well as Theoden's. The, uh, in the movie, there's a line that Wormtongue gives whenever her, her cousin Theodred, Theoden's son, has died. And the line is basically, you know, the, the idea that her, the walls of her bower are closing in about her. It's a hutch to trammel a wild thing in the idea that she's in this closed, confined space. And that mirrors her own comment to Aragorn that what she fears most is a cage to not be able to do anything of renown before use in old age except their use, uselessness. And so you get this idea that she always feels confined. She doesn't, you know, she's trapped. And part of that is Wormtongue's doing. Part of it is also, well, I should say, part of it's directly Wormtongue's doing. Part of it is indirectly Wormtongue's doing in the sense that he also is the one who caused Theoden to be basically decrepit before his time, before Gandalf rescued him. And as a result, Eowyn felt trapped because she's sitting here caring for her uncle who's not that old, but he's acting older than he is. So she has kind of a direct and an indirect 
relationship in that sense with Wormtongue, causing her to feel like, you know, her life is just basically useless. So there's a lot of this going on, and so her desire for action and things like that are more to do with, I want to be doing something more useful than playing nursemaid to an uncle. And the other aspect to this, and we find out after the fact from Faramir, is that she has a conversation with Faramir while they're both recovering in the Houses of Healing, where she says that she desired the love of another. Faramir basically says, well, yeah, you wanted the love of Aragorn because of who he is and because of the glory that that would bring you. And when you couldn't have that, you just desired a brave death in battle. Now, note that. It's a brave death in battle. She's looking for death. Also, in that confrontation with the Witch King, it says that she went forward as one without hope. So, this idea that she's just brave, she's kind of suicidal, in a way, at that point. So, a lot of that's not bravery. It's just her trying to, A, win renown, and or B, get killed, because she's she's basically given up hope that her life has any meaning at this stage. So that, I think, kind of takes care of the whole negative aspect of her character, that she's kind of avoiding things. Also, there's one comment that Gandalf makes in the Houses of Healing while Aragorn's trying to bring her back, where he mentions some of the things that Grima had done, and he basically makes a comment that, you know, she's probably said all kinds of terrible things that you haven't heard, and he's telling this to Aomer, and it says Aomer's, when he hears this, he starts thinking as if he's rethinking every interaction that he's had with Eowyn for, you know, years. So the idea here is that Eowyn is very, very not brave in the sense that she's trying to do her duty and doing it despite the difficulty or the fear involved. She's actually going against her duty, and so it's not courage that helps her stand up to the Witch King. It's, it's just love for Theoden. Now, let me kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about some different aspects of her character that kind of play into more of that conversation with Faramir and how that all pans out. The other aspect of Eowyn's character that I want to get into comes kind of at the end, after she's already been in the battle with the Witch King and, and recovering in the Houses of Healing, she has a lot of conversations with Faramir because he's also recovering in the Houses of Healing and they're both essentially just waiting for something to happen. She actually wants to go right off after Aragorn and all the other soldiers who have gone to the Black Gate. And Faramir basically tells her, even if you were strong enough to do that, you're too late. You won't make it in time. Um, but the, the main thing is, at this juncture comes a lot of conversations between Faramir and Eowyn, which lead up to Eowyn falling in love with Faramir. And the interesting thing about it is her change of heart that comes at the end of that. And the change of heart comes when Faramir kind of presses the issue of he's in love with her and trying to get her to admit or deny that she's in love with him as well. And finally it comes to the point and she changes her, well, the way the book puts it is her heart changed or else she finally realized what it truly was. I'm paraphrasing here, but the idea is she finally realizes that who she really is is not a warrior, and she ends up saying, no longer will I vie with the riders, but I'll be a healer and love all those things that, are, that grow and are not barren. Now this kind of gets into a, 
an area where some people would accuse Tolkien of, you know, being kind of anti-feminist or something like that. And I think that's the wrong way of looking at this passage because there's there's several things about the Lord of the Rings as a whole and about Eowyn's character arc particularly that I think show that this was just kind of the natural way her story had to end. First of all, broadly speaking, in the Lord of the Rings, one thing that you can kind of count on is that characters will live up to what their innermost character is. They will fulfill kind of the main driving force that they are. Samwise's main driving force is he's loyal to Frodo, and that's that's how he is throughout the story. Boromir is the guy who seeks glory but is good at heart ultimately, and so he wants the ring to achieve you know glory in combat and whatnot, tries to take it, but he eventually does redeem himself. Aragorn is the dynamic leader. He's always that way. Eowyn, she's always trying to kind of escape from her duty, but that's more of an effect of the the bad things that Wormtongue has been doing in her family. And if you look at her actual character arc, it doesn't make sense that that's who she is. For one thing, her love of her uncle is what gives her the courage to stand up to the Witch King. And you have to remember that she cared for Theoden for quite a long time while he was, you know, basically becoming senile at Wormtongue's direction. So there's already a hint in her past that she's already like that. She is more of a healer type. The other interesting things, though, come out more explicitly in the conversation she has with Faramir. And one of those things, Faramir has a few remarks about her that kind of point to the fact that her outward warlikeness is really more braggadocio and bravado than it is real, you know, truly her character. And a couple of the remarks that he makes is he says that Aragorn to her seemed as a capt a great captain made to a young soldier admirable. Why is that important? Because again, we come back to the issue of she loved, or at least thought she loved, Aragorn. But the problem is, the way that Faramir puts it is, he seemed to you admiral like a captain would to a young soldier. It's not really love so much as she sees who Aragorn is and she wants to be like that. He also points out that what she wanted was to be, to have glory and renown and to be lifted high above the mean things of the earth. Again, that's kind of pointing to this idea that it's kind of just a surface level, she wants a goal and she's not really paying attention to what she is or what she truly wants as opposed to just trying to elevate herself, which you know, it's not really a true goal in and of itself. It's just kind of a, you know, doesn't everybody kind of want to be better off? Uh, but the interesting thing about all of it is when you parse through all the conversations that Faramir and Eowyn have, you see, and especially as you see some of the background, because it in the book it also points out that Faramir talks to the, the warden of the Houses of Healing. He talks to Mary, who probably knew her better. And he learns a bit about her character that way. And the other interesting thing, of course, about Faramir is he knows people. That's kind of the idea. So he understands her character better than she does herself, just as he understands a lot of other people's character better than they do themselves. So Faramir sees in Eowyn something that she doesn't even see in herself, and she comes to realize it through him pushing and, you know, kind of, getting her to finally admit one way or the other 
what she wants. I mean, they end up, the conversation that they end up having is essentially, you know, why haven't you gone to meet the victorious Aragorn on his way back to Minas Tirith? Because they already had news of the victory from an eagle in the novel. And she says, don't you know? And he says, well, there's two reasons I can think of, and I'm not sure which it is. And basically, it's only Aomer sent for you, and you don't really want to be around Aragorn if he's not into you. Or you want to stay here with me because you've grown to love me. And he basically asks flat out, don't you love me? And she puts it off and says, I, want, I wish to be loved by another, and I desire no man's pity. And that's where he kind of gets into the whole thing about you know, the comments about her love or sort of love for Aragorn and how that all plays in. And he basically says, you know, even if you weren't sorrowful and you had nothing to be pitied for, still I would love you. And that's what finally cracks through. So I think at the end of the day, when you're really looking at this, you have to keep in mind several things. Tolkien is not taking a feminist icon and then turning her into a housewife so much as he's showing that Eowyn's character, who by the way, it makes sense that she would want to be warlike. She's growing up in the Rohirrim and their culture is very much a warlike culture, more so than even Gondor and its decay, which Faramir even says, you know, it's it wasn't always the case in Gondor that the most renowned people would have been great warriors. But the Rohirrim have always been kind of a warlike culture. Their songs are warlike. Everything about them is very much that way. So it's not surprising that Eowyn would lean that way for those reasons alone. But in the conversations that she has with Faramir, she finally realizes what I'm looking for is not all that. That's kind of just what was on the surface and what she really wants. And what you can see hints of here and there is to be a healer because that's that's what she was to Theoden, at least to some extent, which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you keep everything else in mind. The fact that she tends to want to shirk her duty and go off and do things. You know, she wants to get involved in the war, even when everybody, literally everybody else is asking her to stay and be the one that leads everybody while Theoden and the rest of the army is away. So, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot more that you could get into in terms of detail, but I've already given a lot of detail in this video and it's getting a little long, so I'll just go ahead and cut it short here. If you really want to get a better understanding of Eowyn's character and whatnot and get to the real details, you really just have to read the novel. There's just too much there to parse it, but I think I've hit the highlights. So anyway, that is a character study of Eowyn. So that's Eowyn and what I think is kind of the best explanation of her character arc, how she relates to people and all that sort of thing. I think if you really pay attention, again, it's really hard to accuse Tolkien of de-feminizing, you know, if, if you want to put it that way. The other, the other thing you have to remember is Tolkien said in his letters that Faramir is the character who's most like him. And if the character who's most like him is the one who changes Eowyn's mind from being not warlike from being warlike to not warlike, it really only makes sense that that's just kind of a, that's part of who Tolkien is. He didn't like war. He put that into Faramir. Faramir then changes Eowyn's mind to be the same way. So, I mean, it's, it's really just a living out of Tolkien's own views in some sense. So, 
in that way, it's not about, you know, changing somebody who's a dynamic feminist type character to somebody who's not so much as Tolkien didn't like it either, you know, for men or women. He thought war was just a nasty business all around. But I think it does show a lot about the initial scene that I started with, the battle with the Witch King, because it does show, I think, that a lot of what's going on there has nothing to do with courage per se, but rather just the sheer love of her uncle, because that is the one constant in her life. Even when she doesn't want to do what Theoden tells her or anything like that, she does stick by him. That's kind of the driving force behind a lot of what she does. So anyway, that's my take on that whole thing. If you have any other interesting comments or if you can think of any tidbits that I left out that should have been included, give me some comments below. If you enjoyed the video, please like and share it around. And if you want to learn more about Tolkien, the worlds he created, and even his nonfiction, that sort of thing, then you could subscribe to the channel or you can follow me on Twitter at JRRT Lore. Until next time, this is the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore channel. Namadie.